0: Uh, my own children will say, Mama, can we listen to the radio? And they'll, she'll turn it on, and it'll go for about 10 seconds, and they say, Okay,
1: that's enough. Turn it off. Well, your children are <laughs> relatively young, and they have short attention spans. My children, one of my children, listens to this entire program
0: every week. We didn't actually say the age of the children, did we? Because technically, no. I am your child, even though I'm an you adult. You are.
1: Ex- exactly. So, and you... You listen, to the best of my understanding, every week, without fail, you listen to the entire program.
0: I'm I'm not really paying attention, though. That's the whole thing. That's why... I I got it. What did you just say? I wasn't Mm -hmm. paying attention. Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with
1: our English dead.
0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. That that is our 1950s radio voices, because we can. We do that so that you know that we're exciting, because we tell you so. Even though we're economists, we're bald and bearded, and generally speaking, children will run screaming from the room at the sound of our voices. That is exciting in itself, I suppose.
1: Well, that is not actually true.
0: This is Jake and Jeff, and we're here to talk about economics and whether or not children enjoy it. Right. He's
1: not actually Jeff. I'm Jeff.
0: (laughs) Correct. You are correct in that uh, we do not have any form of reversed identities today.
1: Right. And we are also the principals at a SEC-registered investment advisory firm, not that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything we're doing, but it's just where we're registered. And not Uh, that the
0: advisory firm gives advice on the air because we can't for lots of reasons.
1: But the name of the investment advisory firm that is registered with the SEC, United States Securities and Exchange Commission, is the Personal Wealth Coach. And it also happens to be the name of this radio program. It is not a coincidence. However, do not confuse the do, because we're going to be giving information, educational information, on this radio program. And the educational information we give on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
0: We do, however, guarantee that anything we don't say is incomplete. There, see that whole blank spot that we had in the air right there? That was an incomplete right. something. Yeah. Uh, well, so there's a guarantee yeah. on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we make a warranty and guarantee as to the accuracy of the incompleteness of dead air
0: yes the
1: it is 100 percent accurately incomplete and anyone who actually started off listening to the program has now left
0: yes we have now successfully chased away all the children and back to those of you that are old footy-duddies like us uh, though not necessarily bald and bearded oh cool
1: well, did we get – oh, we don't pay for the radio program.
0: That's the last one, We don't one, pay yeah. KTM
1: and KTEM doesn't pay us. We do advertise on KTEM, but, Senator, there is no quid pro quo because the advertising we do on KTEM is mainly – well, it is exclusively for the radio program. We do receive a benefit from the radio program in that our clients apparently listen to it because they comment on it.
0: That, and, I do, We don't know what that says about the sanity no. of our clients, but they do comment on just – I, I, I am saddened in some portion of my being that our clients have nothing better to do than to listen to us talk. But at some point, I have to agree that this is a good thing because it does indirectly lead to our better financial well being.
1: They do, they do our better? They do
0: our better, yes. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm getting, getting into the legal, legal jargon here. They do good. our better. If you would
1: like to join with us,
0: all right. Yeah. Well, we've got some questions hanging out there from uh, Inquisitor John, our most faithful and loyal questioner. We have a lot to talk about, obviously. We've got, it's a very changing world right now. We're in the middle of fluxes of absolute difference from what it used to be across so many different areas. So we have. A lot to talk about. But first, we're gonna to get to our questions. We got two questions from John this week. Thank you, John. I can't thank you enough. You you always provide educated questions that are intriguing even, even to us. So the first question is uh, the subject in the email is China Bank options. And as is tradition, John has taken a picture with a digital picture with his phone of the paper version of the Wall Street Journal to Take it from analog to digital just so we can keep this technological innovation going. Um, There's an article with a headline is, Developer says China is in slump. Um, And then in that article, he has circled, The company said the Chinese government is faced with an increasingly complex, grim, and uncertain development environment. Boy, is that corporate lingo or what? Uh, as it implements pandemic control measures and tries to stabilize the economy. His question is, does the Chinese government and private banks, do they have the same or similar options that U.S. banks have to control their economy? Man, ask a question, a simple question, get a complicated answer. Here we go. Um, China has more tools at its uh, governmental leisure disposal to control aspects of the government of the of the economy than the United States does, they are mostly on the control uh, too much growth rather than stimulate um, the economy. They can stimulate the economy, so let's kind of take a step back. They're going through a world of hurt right now. Let me kind of lay out where these world of hurt issues come from. Number one, the During the global financial crisis, when the United States dealt with massive amounts of bad debt, bad real estate debt, um, Europe did too. Basically the entire developed world dealt with this huge amount of way over leveraged positions, people buying three houses when they needed one house so that they could sell two of them to someone else so that they could those other people could have five houses so that they could sell four of those to someone else so somebody else could have 12 houses and so on. There's an end to that at some point. You, We produce too many houses. We produce too much debt. And when people couldn't pay the debt because we ran out of people to buy these extra houses, nobody knew whose debt was owned by whom and who owed what. So there were, this is a nightmare. We, We, those of us that lived through it, those of you that didn't live through it, go read about it because it's important. China didn't go through that. Instead, during that same time period, it increased the amount of money that it was loaning to real estate developers. I mean, that sounds like what we did that led up to the global financial crisis. What we did in the United States to fix that is there were a bunch of laws passed that said, hey, you can't, if you're a bank, there's a limit on what you can loan out. There's a limit on how we trade these loans after the effect. We put a bunch of restrictions in place. China has since the global financial crisis continued to ramp up its borrowing on real estate development. During the global financial crisis, when the rest of us were having these, this what we called the Great Recession, though those of us that went through it didn't think it was that great, uh, somebody named it that, and I don't know who it was. That was not a great name. Uh, I think they meant the big one, but instead they used the great one. So we had a Great Recession. We dealt with our debt on our end. They built ghost towns in China. The government owns the banks in China. So your question about does Chinese government and private banks have the same or similar options? One of the things that Chinese government has been cracking down on in the last two years when we talk about them stamping out innovation is any company that looks like it might be a private bank has been squashed or taken over by the state. When you think about, you know, ride sharing, we have a whole series of companies you can uber it or there's tons of ride-sharing companies they accept money from your credit cards well they didn't have that system in china so they became private banks and there was a series there are a series of ride-sharing companies there the chinese government has come in and said no we are the bank and has really squeezed these companies so in in many ways they have more control over the banking issues than we do However, if they go and collect, they don't have a foreclosure system that works well. They really don't have a bankruptcy system. So how do you resolve debts when 100% of the debt is due to 100% of the people that loaned it to you if you don't have the money? How do you resolve who gets the assets? Well, the local bureaucrats in China decide that and they take a chunk of it themselves. So while they have more tools to influence the economy, the tools are all based in, in some things that, well, they, they have some very lacking tools when it comes to innovation. That's, I'll, I'll put that as extremely as I can. When we stimulate the economy in the United States, when we lower interest rates, private companies get loans, private citizens get loans, and they spend that money according to their own desires. When a private corporation spends that money, it's generally with the uh, intent of getting more earnings, more profits for the future. That's not necessarily how loans work in China. Much of the loans that are in China right now are to people and entities that are not profitable. A lot of these real estate development firms are just absolutely not profitable. It's the opposite. They're losing money hand over fist and they're making up for it by getting more loans from the state. Well, the state has said, we're not doing that anymore. So they have this massive debt crisis right in the middle of massive government lockdowns. So while the government of China has the ability to open up the floodgates of money and allow people to continue to build and grow, it's reverse to the concept of locking down huge chunks of their population not able to work because of COVID. Do they have the tools? Some of them, more of the some of them than we do. They're just lacking the non-governmental tools, the non-banking tools of innovation and the ability to keep what you make. Uh, if if you invent a product in China and you get a loan to sell that product, to manufacture and sell that product, it is much more likely that in the process of doing this, your secret's gonna be linked to all your competitors and they're all going to spend you into oblivion and you won't get to benefit from your invention. Which is why when we look at new innovations that come out of the world, even though China is by far... Uh, larger than the United States, they come in with less than a quarter of our patents on the international level. They just do not have, and, and that's not growing. Where you see other aspects of the Chinese you know, revolution in, in industry and economics where they're booming economy, they've been taking over big chunks of the world stage. When it comes to their patents, it's not been growing their innovation has been stagnant through this, and that's a major factor that we throw in here. So yes, they have a lot of tools, but the tool that they're missing is how do you stimulate in- innovation? How do you get people that invent things to keep the value of what they invent so that they continue to invent more things? This is another thing that is quite important to realize. On the patent rules. it's a very small minority of Patents are issued to people that have never created patents before. That means people that invent tend to invent a lot more than just one thing. They tend to invent a lot of things. And if the first thing they invent is stolen from them, they're very unlikely to continue to try to sell their inventions. So that is a a major twist. During our downturn in the pandemic, innovation exploded in the United States. It did not in China. It has not in China and is still not in China. And you're pregnant with some thoughts. So please I'm, give birth no, on no, this.
1: I'm actually ready to go into the next question.
0: All right. Excellent. All right. Um, I'll read it out and you can answer it. What do you think? Whatever. All right. Inquisitor John again. Uh, he says, what does the personal wealth coach think? Uh, is GDP or GDI more a more accurate reflection of the U.S. economy? What do you think?
1: Well, for starters, the, the the headline of the article that he said was the economy might just be stagnating, which I think is interesting because on the digital version of the Wall Street Journal, which is what we read, it says the same article, headline, a different take on the U.S. economy. Maybe it isn't really shrinking. Two different approaches to this. Um, the gross, We talked about this last week at, at some length, actually. The gross domestic income in the United States is very different from the gross domestic Product of the United States. They ought to typically, and in normal, and I said we're not in normal circumstances. In normal circumstances, they tend to be pretty much the same thing, but they're not right now. And they're, and we think, I am of the opinion, and uh, I'm certainly. This is just my opinion. Gross domestic income is probably more accurate than gross domestic product. Gross domestic domestic product has some things thrown in there that we consider fundamentally inaccurate, which is the import export issue. Can I just Amen.
0: quick give the what, is, what are the variables in these things? I, sure. we, we have a lot of nerds that listen to us because they like our nerdliness. Gross domestic products equation is you add up consumption, investment, government purchases and exports, and then you subtract imports. All of that is inflation adjusted. Gross domestic income is you add up wages, profits, interest income, rental income, and taxes. Then you subtract production and import subsidies, so where the government is giving back money in taxes for imports. And then there's some statistical adjustments. Both of them have statistical adjustments. So both of them are inflation-adjusted. Gross domestic income is really looking at what is the income to all of these major entities, to corporations, to... Uh, individuals and gross domestic product is looking at what we're spending. So there's a,
1: yeah. Go ahead. Keeping it simple. Let's bring it down to a bumper sticker. One of my favorite bumper stickers that I've ever seen. Uh, it said, "Happiness is a positive cash flow." So gross domestic income is how is the cash flow doing in the United States? And gross domestic GDI says the cash flow is doing just fine. Yeah, we're economy. We're growing. We're we're. Increasing our cash flow to about one point four percent a year right
0: now. That's inflation adjusted. So that's true growth.
1: Mm-hmm. And GDP for the first two quarters says, no, 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 the economy's shrinking. Um, it's kind of like in a business. Uh, we have a business. We've had a business for decades.
0: Not four decades, have, but four decades.
1: Actually, four decades, I've had a business.
0: We've, we've had business a business four decades.
1: Four decades. Yes. Yes. We've had a four business, four decade business for anyway. For decades, uh, we've had a four decades business. Uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, the the bottom line to it is, I look. I don't dig deep into the financial statements and and try to figure out all kinds of things like depreciation and appreciation and what would the building sell for if I had to sell the building. Shoot, if I had to sell the building, uh, that we're in, then we wouldn't have a business. So uh, I'm not even gonna idea. pay any attention to that. Yeah, yeah. That would be like considering gross domestic product. I look. At the bottom line, how much cash do we have on hand now versus a year ago? If we have more, we obviously had net income, after tax net income, and we didn't spend it on anything. So we now have a bigger savings account than we had a year ago. I equate that with good. If we're charging along and all the numbers did which and what and they went this way and that way, but we wound up at the one year later with less cash and we hadn't purchased anything major, we might want to consider what's going on here. Yeah. And that's the way I look at the United States economy. Gross domestic income is, if you look at how much money adjusted, if you can adjust for inflation, if whatever you, if you track your personal inflation, how much money you're making now, if you're in business and you're productive, and how much money you were making a year ago and 10 years ago, five years ago and 10 years ago, And if you are actually, and I don't mean retired people, but if you look at, if you're in business and you're making more money after adjusting for inflation now than you were in the past, you're growing. And that's GDI. And I think that's the best way to measure the economy. Yeah.
0: And basically, if you think of the two as you're taking a temperature on the economic body in different places with, with the same thermometer. It's not really the same thermometer. Just go with me. You just need to be consistent on where you're taking that temperature and understand what it means, because it means something different. If you just got out of a shower and it was a hot shower and you're taking your your temperature from your forehead, it's going to be hot. If if you take it from inside the mouth, it might be hot, but not as hot. Uh, If you take it from the bottom of the foot, it's going to be different. And with GDP, we're trying to measure activity. With GDI, we're trying to measure activity. But you need to watch what the activity is. They're both really good representations of the economy as long as you understand their weaknesses and follow along and understand when the GDP is shrinking for six months of a year, how can we not be in a recession? Well, the GDI, everybody's making more money, even adjusted for inflation, even though our consumption and our uh, the, the parts that make up investment and government purchases and exports minus imports is down consumption's up consumption's up when you add it all together consumption investment government purchases and exports minus imports it's down but when you look at wages profits interest income rental income taxes it's up so from pure cash flow perspective we're not in a recession people are being paid more than they were in many cases, even more than inflation-adjusted, what they were,
1: and they're spending more than they were, even adjusted for inflation, and right. they're buying more things than they were. So it really comes down, to, and, and that leads. That's a good segue into what it was released this week in the economy that's important. Well, let me let no me thing.
0: let me add one massive piece that will actually hopefully clear up that mumbo jumbo. One major chunk of GDP is government purchases. That doesn't just mean what they buy. Could mean what they buy. It means government spending. And a bunch of that government purchases, so put some air quotes around that, were in a bunch of grants that were given that were forgiven. So it looks like we had the reverse of government purchases. All those PPP loans that were given back, all that forgiven debt causes GDP to drop. Even though the people that received that money got an income increase and they're buying more stuff with it, the government side is a negative. When you look at the gross domestic income, tax revenue is massively up for this year. So even on the government side, we have a major positive. Okay, those were the last two pieces that needed to be in that puzzle. Now back to you for your segue
1: well even the article that, that john sent, which was entitled differently on in the, in the digital version says he, he has a quote here from a professor the economy is stagnating but it's not declining well stagnating sounds pretty bad he's a northwestern university professor named Robin, robert gordon here's the reality um the labor department on friday released its monthly employment situation summary and yes, uh, unemployment jumped from 3.5% to 3.7%, but nobody lost their jobs. I mean, people did lose their jobs, but we net created in the month in the United States 315,000 new jobs and filled them.
0: Let, let me real quick add definition for stagnate. Uh, if If water or air ceases to flow or move or to cease developing, become inactive or dull, we're not seeing that. <laughs> There's
1: no so, there's no lack of activity. nothing is dull we, right now. In the economy, we're creating easily right in, in the month of August created twice as many jobs as we'd have if we were stagnating. Um, we the reason the unemployment rate jumped from 35 3.5 to 3.7 is because a bunch of people joined the labor force. Now some of those people were just joining the labor force for the first time but the majority of them, and it was 0.3% of the labor force. We had a 0.3% increase, which doesn't sound like much, but you look at 3.5 to 3.7, that's 0.2%, which means about for every three people who joined the labor force who weren't in it before in the month of August, two of them found a job. And that's the way it's going. Uh, or one of them found a job and the other two just came into the labor force and they haven't, and it's not that it's, it's not that they can't find a job, goodness gracious. Uh, we still have far more job openings than we have people looking for jobs. It's They're being really picky. That's why they stayed out so long. They're really being picky about which job they take. Uh, that is not a stagnating, shrinking, or economy that's slipping into re- recession. Another aspect of that that's very important is to recognize that employers don't hire large quantities of new people if they believe a recession is coming in the next year. It. Usually takes about a year for an employee to become highly productive. Minimum. Some places, I guess, flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or something, at the very low end of the spectrum, they can become productive in a month or two. But employers tend to hire for the long term because they have to. They have. It's, it's very expensive to hire somebody. You have to have somebody training them, which means you become less productive. Which, by the way, is why. The productivity numbers have dropped. We've talked about that. The productivity numbers dropped in the second quarter. They're probably dropping right now. When we're hiring a lot of people, when the economy is growing quickly, productivity numbers drop because you have to take your most productive people and put them to training people who are zero productive. They're on the payroll, but they're not doing anything effective yet. They're costing money, but not creating product yet because they're still being trained. And you have to take your best, most productive people and use them to train the people who aren't being productive at all. So I I've, I've seen many articles go by says oh this is terrible productivity is falling we're sliding into stagflation. Baloney. There is no evidence of stagflation. Stagflation, I've been through stagflation has
0: a definition. It's when you have high inflation and high unemployment. We have the opposite of high unemployment.
1: So there's a lot of people wanting to be very afraid and frankly there's a political leaning to to a matter of fact if you read and we do, if you read publications that lean to the left and lean to the right or in the middle, you get a different view of what's going on in the economy. The further the publication leans to the right, the more negative it is about the economy. Why? Well, the Democratic Party controls the House and the Senate and the White House right now, and they don't like that. Therefore the economy is going to be reported as being bad. Yeah, you, be- can, you
0: can flip this around. The The left-wing side of the media was much more negative about the economy when the Republicans Certainly. had the entirety of the government. This is just something sure. you can expect. Just expect that when you're reading your media or listening to your media or watching your media know what their intent is, filter it through that intention and recognize that there's going to be a lot of people being afraid on Fox News right now. These are the same people that were telling you to be enthusiastic in a different political setting. So and and politics we, is influencing the news, definitely.
1: We we follow the Wall Street Journal and I think they have some generally quite balanced news. Bloomberg and some other places. And but the Wall Street Journal leans to the right.
0: We also and look at things like the, the Economist and Financial Times, which are British publications, which give us a really completely weird look at the U.S. economy, but it's effective. Okay, go back, back to you.
1: The the fact is that the for instance, the article that John sent us, The Outlook, uh, by Hilson Rath, is really semi-editorial. And and it's important to pay attention to that if you're actually wanting to know what's going on. Uh, it, it's important to recognize that the direct reporting of news, for example, from the Wall Street Journal tends to be extremely accurate. But as soon as we get into opinion, and economy might just be stagnating, is opinion. You start in the Wall Street Journal to drift to the right. New York Times, you can depend on the fact that if it's even vaguely opinion, they're going to be on the left. And to really know what's going on, it's important to figure a way to go down the middle. Bloomberg pretty well balanced, but slightly to the left. And and I know that most people don't have enough time to do that, which is why we get paid, among other things, is because we <laughs> make the time to do this. Reading across the spectrum and carefully distilling out the facts become very, very becomes very, very important. So the, the labor numbers across the board are saying the economy is booming. Uh, job openings continue to rise in July. Um, employers are begging for workers. Then the conference board came out this week, it was a private organization, and they tend to be right down the middle. I don't, I've never indicated, seen anything that suggests political bias with them. US consumer confidence, they reported, reversed course in August. Now it was, it hit a four month low in July, which scared a lot of people. And they're on their index, it's 139.7 in July, and it it rose to 145.4 in August. Well, that is geeky as you can get but what we've seen is across the board the stock market consumer confidence hit bottom in june mid june into july started coming back and frankly is continuing to come back now as i said the st- the stock market has sagged a little bit it's sagged about halfway back to where um to the bottom it was in in, in june but we also but but let's look a little further down the road and i'll be a little more geeky right uh something you
0: were going to geek out about so please please and i want to tell folks that we didn't mean geeking literally in the sense of the sword swallowing profession that's geeking that is what geeking is to being able to swallow things is to geek it um That's not what we're doing. We're meaning geek in the term of nerdliness.
1: The fact that you know the accurate and complete, perfect dictionary definition of geek tells me that you are one.
0: Yes, and the second definition, not the first. Okay.
1: Anyway, we focus a lot on purchasing manager index readings. Why? In companies, manufacturing companies, uh, any company that has a long-term lead time on doing things, which are the ones that are the consistent core companies in the United States. The people who are their customers give them advance warning when they're going to make big orders. They tell them in about three months or in about six months, I'm going to order a whole bunch of this. I want you to make it for me at that point. I'm willing to contract with you now. Let's get rolling on it. The first people that get involved that where we can see what's going on are the purchasing managers. Because for this company to make something, including the restaurant where you go to eat, in order for them to make the food for you to eat, well in advance, they have to do two things. They have to have employees who are capable of fixing and serving the food, and they have to have the food available and the spices and all the stuff they need to make the meal for you. And they need to order that in advance because it doesn't mysteriously appear. They can't run down to the grocery store and get it now. Some small restaurants literally do that, run down to the grocery store and get it. But it's not very cost-effective because it's far more cost-effective to order it far upstream and order a big order of the stuff. So the purchasing managers handle that. So two different companies uh, monitor purchase managers in the United States. And they send out a survey and the purchase managers respond to the survey and they compile all the stuff together, including the comments of the purchasing managers. And what we see then is where the consensus is for businesses, profitable businesses in the United States, three to six months from now. And as long as the PMI numbers are above 50, then the purchasing managers see are seeing a growth in their business over the next three to six months. Now, can something happen and that be wrong? Yeah, but consistently that is the most right, accurate and accurate forecast of business conditions three to six months from now. And the PMI uh, for both companies uh, ISI uh, I've got them mixed up now. Anyway, the, the two the Purchasing that, Managing Index, yeah. There are two different Purchasing Managing Index uh, indices uh, and the two purchasing managing manager indices, both are positive right now. Both of them are saying manufacturing and services in the United States are growing. Manufacturing is the one I always look at first. Um, and they it's continuing to expand. And it is continuing to expand. Now, in both cases, they are saying something very, very clear. It's no longer at 56 or 57. It's down in the low 50s. Uh, why is that important? Anything about 55 in the Purchasing Managers Index is not sustainable. You just, the the business is increasing fast enough that the businesses are not going to be able to keep up with it. If it drops down to about 52, 53, that is a sustainable long-term growth rate. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the purchasing managers across the board saying a couple of things that are very important. Yes.
0: I, and I have some other things to add and that are good news. So go ahead. Okay. I was just letting you know.
1: They're seeing the orders hold up. They're seeing deliveries do good. Their 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 actual production is running a little bit slow right now. And you could say, oh, well, that's bad. Production's running is, is running about the same as it was last month. Why? Well, it's the same old story. They're hiring a bunch of new people, and they're taking their most productive workers to train the new people. Which means their production is essentially flat from July to August. There's also this is the summer they take vacations there tends to be flat production. However, the new orders, the backlog, and the deliveries are up significantly. I know this is really geeky, but this is why, and we've been accused of being unduly optimistic, this is why when I see those numbers, I say the economy is growing, and for the next going down the road out to a year, it looks like it's probably going to grow. Why? Because the people who are betting their lives and incomes and companies on it are saying it's Probably going to grow into the next year. Now, at the governmental Department of Labor and Commerce level, they may see numbers that are weird and think weird things are going on. And we're almost out of hour. And you had something to say.
0: Yeah. The first thing I wanted to say is that recently we're being accused of being overly optimistic. But I would like to invite people to go back and listen to some radio programs or read some newsletters from 2019 and 2018 when people were saying we were being overly pessimistic. And if you go back to prior to, you can go all the way back here, prior to the global financial crisis, when people were saying we were being overly pessimistic, and then at the bottom, we were being overly optimistic. I'm not saying we're right all the time. What I am saying is that when we see activity that the popular popular groups are saying isn't happening, and it is happening, we point at it. We say, wait a minute, all the media is talking about that stuff over there. It sells advertisements to talk about recession. Um, we talk about where we are unemployment. So an area we've talked about demographically, and I'm going to say this really fast. Uh, hospitality and leisure as an area of employment had the biggest hit during the, the COVID Era, We are well above by a significant significant number where we were prior to pandemic. We were at about 20.5 million, according to ADP, employed before, and now we're at like 21.3 million employed. That's a major influx. We're seeing that in all kinds of areas, and we're almost out of time. So we're going to talk more about this next hour. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, those same email addresses work, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com, or you can email or or you can call us locally
1: at 254-947-1111 or
0: toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com for podcasts, email, contact form, all that good stuff. Uh, we've got newsletters going back a long time on the webpage. It's worth going back there to look, to see when we were overly optimistic and when we were overly pessimistic for real. Uh, Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening. Presuming you did.